Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Doyle Hinman at his house in Eugene. Uh, it's January 15, 2016. We're doing an oral history interview. And Doyle, we like to start all of our interviews with wine people the same way. And it's a very nice question. Why wine? <laughs> uh, why wine? That is a good question. Um, I, don't, I, I guess way back when I was intrigued with the subject uh, and it just kind of was uh, just hit me like a bolt of lightning basically that wow wine what an interesting thing and I remember when it happened and I had no uh, you know aptitude at whatsoever with wine I didn't even like wine I didn't know anything about wine but uh, this uh, uh, person in my life at the time uh, said well they're doing some stuff in Roseburg and they're they're growing like grapes and they're making wine and for whatever reason that really intrigued me and so we went down and um, and took some classes and I use that term real loosely with uh, Richard Sommer and uh, it was very interesting to to have see that orientation at that time and it was some actually some really bad wines uh, a lot of it was Zinfandel and Merlot and Cabernet and uh, but we really learned and uh, something and it just sort of intrigued me and I, I went from there to um, I guess the ultimate doing a winery etc cetera, etc cetera. so it, it became my life do you have any idea now, looking back, what it was about wine that intrigued you? Was it working with the earth? Was it something fancy about wine? Was, what, do you have any idea what struck you? Well, I think in perspective, I appreciated the appreciate the question because it gives me from this point of view why you know why have it, has it stuck with me personally? And I think a lot of it has to do with all of the you know the creative part of it, the cultural part of it. Um, it, it I don't know. It just it's it's something that touches all my senses, and uh, and I, I think it's unique. I've always liked to do that kind of thing in my life. I worked in television for a long time and. And well, not a long time, but I worked while I was going to co to, to college, and uh, I was a TV director. And uh, I, I guess I just like having these different types of occupations mm -hmm. and uh, or involvements. I, and I guess this is an occupation, but uh, no, I, I just uh, it it's just seems to seems to satisfy what I want to do with my life, and and it sort of has rubbed off to my whole family. My daughter uh, works for a winery in Washington. I worked for a big international importer for a year. Worked at King Estate. Um, my youngest son works for Southern Wine and Spirits. So we're all sort of uh, we we're, we're engulfed in the wine industry, and not necessarily in a particular slot. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we're just kind of all into wine in general so which is, I think is a good thing so you go down to Roseburg you meet with Richard Summer then what well okay I, that kind of hit the button so what do you do next well you, you, you try to find a 
site to do a vineyard. So and you, you try to find grape cuttings and then you try to figure out what you're going to plant. And I think one of the mistakes that I made initially, which I think a lot of people made, is that you plant what you like to drink, <laughs> which is ridiculous. And, I, and hence, I liked Zinfandel and I, and I got some Zinfandel cuttings and went through that. Didn't even think about, well, what would grow, what would sell. Uh, and I think a lot of people at that time were just enamored with wine. And so I think that, uh, um, and obviously I've learned going through the, the, the phases and levels that marketing is very, very important part of the thing and you've got to market wines that work and et cetera, et cetera. So um, I don't know if that answered your question, but. Uh, well, so how did, you, how did you choose the area? How did you come, how did you set up? Well, I found a piece of property that I liked and um, I thought it was, and again, it goes back to, I found the key word, I found a piece of property that I liked <laughs> and uh, not necessarily the best for uh, vines. And uh, at the time I was going through a, uh, a divorce and it, so it was kind of a, uh, awkward situation that my mother-in-law was going to buy the property for my at that time my wife and I and so she stuck with the program even though with me and <laughs> and her daughter went the other way and so uh, we bought that property I, I had some cuttings I placed the cuttings in the ground um, the second year the cuttings didn't work really well because I didn't do a really good job with uh, trying to get the roots etc next year I bought cuttings from Dick Erath and Chuck Corey uh, that were in a in a, a, a greenhouse and they weren't adapted to an outdoor environment and so uh, again the, the short version of that like, long story was that the second year didn't work really well either but I had a little bit from the first year a little bit from the second year and then we kind of went from there for my first planning so so you're starting from scratch what's what's it like is it overwhelming to try to start a vineyard? Like, how did you how did you make it? How did you get all the jobs you needed to get done? Done. How did I get it all done? I think one of the things that helped me do that, what again was back to that wine passion. You know, I had a job or a project that I was working on, and I was so committed to it. And the more I got involved with it, the the more uh, people that I met and kind of shared that vision. So you all kind of went together to, to try to accomplish this. Um, this crazy thing of trying to make wines in Oregon and um, and at the time I think initially and a very important part for me was that I was I was really smitten with Riesling and Riesling was a varietal that um, that a lot of people, well, actually Riesling was a pretty big part of what was going on. Pinot Noir was definitely there, but Riesling was a big part of the Oregon wine industry. At that time, uh, we had a visitor that came uh, almost every year, Helmut Becker from Geisenheim, and I had a chance to meet with him kind of one-on-one -on -one at an event in Portland and ask him, could I, could I come to Geisenheim and kind of learn more about from you and absolutely and I remember him said you come <laughs> and I went okay I will I, I will come and so I did I went to Germany in 1977 spent six months at the Wine Institute and uh, learned a ton of stuff and uh, and I, I think what it did it, re, it reinvigorated my passion mm -hmm. and then came back and in, uh, in 70 
well, it was the fall of 77, and then borrowed money from anybody that would give it to me, <laughs> and, um, and, started, uh, and started the Henman Vineyards. And uh, so it was, uh, uh, and then, then that whole, that completely involved a whole other aspect from that grapes, that initial grape to now wine, and then, uh, and then we've certainly got our ego fed because the first year there was only an, one other winery in our, in Eugene, mm -hmm. and when we went on the marketplace, um, we, our wines, I mean, we sold out immediately. I mean, and we didn't have a lot of wine, but we, we were a phenomena here in Eugene, and some of the the the, uh, the news articles and things that Rachel's looking at as we're speaking here is that there's just a lot of uh, a lot of information and I I mean I was just inundated with interviews and you know things and and that sort of fed the whole thing as well and uh, and then I think that the 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 things of a business came into play, i.e. running a business, mm -hmm. money in, money out, you know, marketing wine, integrity of the wine. Those are things that I think we uh, sort of, we were so hung up with the wine thing that there was those details of the foundations that came into place and had some huge impact on the success of, of, of initial success of Henman Vineyards. So in the you talk about uh, work with Richard Summer and then you know getting plantings from Dickie Rath and Chuck Corey. So what were some of your initial um, uh, impressions of of the other of the rest of the wine industry in its in its kind of nascent days there? Oh, it, very positive, extremely positive. I mean, I I can't. Everybody was trying to help each other. I remember going to various meetings at various people's houses up there, trying to pull us together. Uh, and most of the action was all up north. And, and uh, you know, both Dick Ponzi and Dick Erath were very involved with that. And um, and uh, they really tried to, to put together a, an organization to kind of deal with it. And I really appreciated that. Uh, down here, um, um, Fred Benoit was a very important part of what was happening here, and Fred and uh, us uh, were went, we were bonded at the same time. He hired a winemaker, um, Max Seltviger was the, and he was from Switzerland, and uh, he came over to my place and helped us do some stuff and helped us with filtrations. And we, he needed some hoses, and I had hoses, and it, I guess it was the spirit of really trying to help each other. Uh, I didn't see a lot of competitive, uh, well again I think the business, the people that were doing it at the time were, were involved with wine mm -hmm. and, and that business element I think was, we certainly didn't have it, but I think most everybody else didn't have that business element, but it came quickly and it needed to. So. Do you, what do you attribute that to, the, in terms of the, it, was it just a, a right group of people who, who started the industry? Did they get along really well because they had to work well together, or was it just kind of a luck of the draw? Well, to use your term, luck of the draw, I think, but I, I'm going to go back, and I hate to overuse the word, but I think it was passion. We all shared the same vision of trying to do something with, um, you know, with this, uh, you know, with this magic, uh, thing that we were doing in Oregon. It was, uh, no, you can't. I remember going into the trade and you can't grow wine grapes in Oregon. It's too wet and it's too cold. And, you know, uh, you can do blackberry and boysenberry and raspberry wines, et cetera, et cetera. But mm -hmm. I think the people that 
that were involved at that time really shared to try they knew we had something going and even in my crude way of, of, of not having the depth of knowledge I knew we that there was something going on here and uh, and there was some real interest and I think that's been so um, uh, well I don't know I was gonna say exciting but I'm not sure that's the right word it, it, it just it's been just a very interesting thing to see how the growth has happened with the Oregon wine industry from where we are in 2016 to where I started out in 79 uh, and the things we were focused on and et cetera, et cetera. Um, just how much progress has been made and how you can go to an international event mm -hmm. um, in Asia or Europe and people know it. It's, I, I have to say it's predominantly Pinot Noir, but Oregon wine is a, is a phenomena within the Oregon wine industry and when I started it wasn't. <laughs> it was just kind of a red-headed stepchild, I think, so to speak. <laughs> But uh, it's been fascinating to see that change, and and I go to meetings, and I the, the meetings that I go to, some people are frustrated. We need to do this, and we need to do that, and and we do need to grow. But if they only could see where we have come from way back when, when we were <laughs> meeting in the fire hall at, in Tualatin, uh, trying to figure out what the hell to do, uh, to where we are today, it's a it's a huge change and to be to see that and to live some of that is extremely rewarding for me. Can you give me an example of when you got in the industry say say 1980ish what were what were some of the big concerns for you personally or for the industry in general? Um, I, I think that I think that there was a big concern for, for me, I can't speak for a lot of people, but I think for me was wine integrity. Um, I think that, that we got a lot of naysayers because, again, you're in Oregon and you can't grow grapes and you can't do that sort of stuff in this kind of climate. So I think it was very important to come up with quality wines. And I think most of the people, not all, with the exception of David Dillette, who had a degree, and, and Erath, who had a little bit of experience, but not much, that none of us had that formal training mm -hmm. in making wines and understanding, uh, you know, some of the, the idiosyncrasies of uh, not sterile filtrations and all that sort of thing. I think we understood it, but not at the level that, that I think this current wine generation has. So I, to answer your question, I think wine integrity was a, a big thing for me. Um, and I think that, uh, I don't know, we just kept plowing to try to get the word out. Um, at Hinman Vineyards, we, we didn't do much marketing outside the state um, when I started to work for Henry Estate. That's where I really blossomed as far as my contacts with uh, distributors and, and selling wine and meeting people from all over the country, and for that matter, all over the world. Um, that was a very important, uh, I think, thing for me to, that needed to happen. And I think I was, it was rewarding for me to be one of the first to do that. I mean, when we did, I remember when I first started working for Henry Estate, we did Vin Expo in Bordeaux like three different years in a row. Uh, and that was every other year. But so we, we, and to go there and have people come up and we were a curiosity. Hmm. And, uh, and we were, that, at, at that time, we were the only one. We were with the Washington group. So, but we were kind of the only one doing, doing the thing. So I, I think that getting that, 
the word out was was something that was important at that time as well. So I, I'm sure there's others, but those are the two that are at the top of my head. Sure. sure. So when you when you got when when you you've got everything started and and you're and you're passionate about the wine part of it, and then you have to start dealing with the business and the marketing part of it. How did you? How did that work? How did you deal with that? Well, I dealt with it with bringing on a partner, um, and the, the partner at the time was a friend, um, and, and he was equally as passionate. He just wanted another job, and he thought this was fun, and and um, and I, I don't want to to downgrade what uh, what that partner did for us, but it was he had more business expertise and I use that term loosely in our case, than I did for sure. And so he got involved with that part of it and then I sort of swung to being involved with the wines, but what really took me away from, I think, the that integrity thing that was so important, and I, I wasn't involved there because I was trying to sell this stuff. I was trying to market it. I was driving all over the, you know, all over the state, Eastern Oregon, and, um, you know, I remember going to, to uh, well, was it Burns? It wasn't Burns. It was a uh, Legrand and mm-hmm. places just to try to get that wine out there. And when you do that kind of thing, you're you're kind of leave some of the things that you really need. and so. And I think we suffered from that. And so trying to bring other people into the fold and was a way of doing it but maybe they weren't the right people and I think that had a lot to do with uh, you know our our lack of success at Henman Vineyards and ultimately we we had to sell because we ran out of capital to to make it work Um, and I think if we would have been smarter and had more business savvy that we could have uh, you know we could have maybe done something differently than what happened so so before that happened, though, you were—you said you were an, like an initial success, and one of, and actually one of the biggest wineries in the state we for were, a little yeah, while. We were. So what was that like? Um, well, I don't think I—I I think I appreciated it, but it was more. We got to do more. We got to make. You know, we're selling all this wine, but we're not making any money. What's the deal with that? And uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting is that we. When we would do, and at that time there were lots of events, festivals and uh, tastings, and I remember the Lane County Fair had a wine room, and there was all kinds of stuff going on. And and I remember when we were, when Hinman Vineyards was the number one winery in the state, it, it, it was funny that, and it was growing, and there was always new people, but nobody wanted to talk to us. We were sort of... Uh, you know, we were kind of the big boys, the, <laughs> the gorilla, and I remember noticing that. And and I went, so I would go out of my way. You know, I'd got, like go around the room, hi, how are you doing? How's biz and whatever. But I would tell my, you know, the people in the tasting room or people that would be doing these events, go out of your way and be friendly to these people. And uh, but I think they were intimidated, uh, and uh, and I, I don't know. I don't think that I stopped to. To smell the roses at that time, I was just trying to make things bigger and better, and uh, and it seemed like the harder I worked in that department, the more behind we got. <laughs> so it was extremely frustrating for me. And and you know, again, in perspective, um, I, a lot of it has to do with just pure, pure business, or lack of, but maybe yeah. So I know you said in, uh, that you were involved in a lot of organizations early and for a length of time. So talk a little bit about how you got into them, some of the different organizations you were in. 
Um, well, the first one, I mean, as the as the industry grew, and I think from what what we put together was that we needed a statewide organization and trying to figure what umbrella would that under. At the time, it was under Oregon Department of Ag, which I which is great. Uh, we sort of, I don't know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever it was, split from, we didn't split, but we, we were under a close umbrella, under the umbrella of the Oregon uh, Department of Ag. And so I think when that happened, there was a, a board, kind of like the cattle board or the walnut board and all that sort of thing. And so that came up to do the what do they call it? Oregon Wine, Oregon Wine Advisory Board, mm -hmm. not the Oregon Wine Board. Oregon Wine Advisory Board, and um, and so one of the things was to invite, to 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 spread from all over the state. So there needed to be people in Southern Oregon. There needed to be people, you know, in, in the gorge and et cetera, et cetera. Fruit and berry was a big thing. I remember we had to do fruit and berry as well. So it was trying to be a diverse group. Mm -hmm. And I happen to be a guy that um, that. I guess people thought would would represent well on the Oregon Wine Advisory Board representing this part of the state. So I was, uh, uh, I guess, appointed. I, yeah, I think I was appointed. I, I, you know, it was just you do it sort of thing. <laughs> but I, I think there was an official appointment, and and so I got on this Oregon Wine Advisory Board, and I didn't think I was ever going to get off. I mean, it was to, to the point because nobody, this wasn't a big growing area, so this particular area there wasn't a lot of people that wanted to fill sure, on in that. Sure. So I was on the board and had the opportunity to work with, uh, you know, kind of setting some marketing stuff and, um, and some directions, uh, which I, which at the time, reflecting back, <clears throat> was uh, very rewarding for me. So that and then, um, then I, I get, I'm uh, on the governor's council. I, I think it's just for old buzzards that have been around for a long time. There's a title and I can't remember what it is, but somebody asked me to be on it and I kind of went, well, sure, uh, you know. Uh, so, I, and I was the president of the, the southern chapter of the Willamette. I just sort of fell into it. It's certainly, I'm not very politically oriented, <laughs> but uh, I was just uh, task oriented. We needed to get stuff done and I was willing to do it. And um, so I, I think that's I'm, that's about as much as I'm going to be doing. I think for the rest of my time is I've done what I've needed to do and participated. And uh, I do work now um, with the Oregon uh, Department of Ag quite a bit. Um, they've been very supportive with the, some of the international efforts. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, Tom Donowski, our current executive director, and I have uh, kind of uh, had an agreement that I'm kind of the representative for Oregon Department. Of ag. We grant, I uh, sit on a uh, specialty crop grant committee where we grant uh, funds for these kinds of things. And um, so I'm pretty involved with that. Not so much any of the Oregon Wine Board activities, but uh, again, more state. And I tend to lean towards things on the international side. I'm very high on international part of, of marketing, Oregon wines. If we consider ourselves uh, an international uh, product, then we need to be in the international market to show that we were there. And I hold that flag real high. So you, you've gotten, you mostly got into the international marketing, you got into that after you sold the vineyard. So yes. how did that come about? After you sold the vineyard, then what happened? Um, that's kind of an interesting story. I, uh, 
at the time, right before I left Henman Vineyards, um, there was a Swedish, well at that time, the Swedish um, system belaget is what it was called. It was a monopoly. And they came to Oregon. Just they had heard something about Oregon and they came and wanted to see Oregon and see what there's anything can could happen. And I'm not even beginning to bore you with the details of how I got that buyer down to Henman Vineyards, but it was kind of crazy. We rented a plane. I mean, we did, we went the extra mile. Got the guy here, um, just blew him away. I mean, we had lunch for him, and we did all kinds of stuff. He bought our wine, wine being Henman Vineyards. And he bought it in a format that was extremely interesting, but it had to do with the idiosyncrasies of the, of the monopoly in Sweden. They bought our wines, the same wines that we put in bottle, they would put it in tank containers. Mm -hmm. So we would ship the wine in containers, ship it to Stockholm, and, and we did quite a bit of it. And then we would put, send our label, or we sent our label artwork, they would print the exact Henman Vineyard artwork, <laughs> put the label on and put it into the market. And we were pretty damn successful. And, but way back when, historically, uh, to be in the European Union, there had to be some uh, things done with the, the bureaucracies, and so they had to eliminate that. So we got flushed down the, the drain with that. But that experience uh, was very rewarding. I really found to be, that to be interesting. And, uh, and so when I left Henman and went to work for Henry Estate, I kind of picked up that. And Scott was willing. Scott was willing to do almost anything that, you know, to grow the business. And so uh, we kind of saddled up with at that time still the Oregon Wine Advisory Board, nudged them along a little bit with trying to do some international stuff. They got into it. Then there was a, a lot of grants. Um, in fact, I just our last trip last year was a grant from uh, from the federal government that uh, I wrote. We're going to write another one for this year's trap. So there was money available mm -hmm. to do this, and so. Um, and then we started working with uh, um, started working with this Washington Wine Commission. It's much easier to to market as a Northwest Coalition as it is Oregon and Washington. At least it was at that time. Not so sure of that now, but um, but anyway, we we went to Vin Expo. I went to Vin Nordic in Stockholm. I've been to Vin Italy and Verona. Um, you know. And, <laughs> I've done, I can't tell you how many shows. We sold a little. I can't say that it was, uh, well, it was economically feasible because of the grant monies that we received for it. But as far as, we got a little business out of it. You know, make no mistake. But it wasn't, it wasn't the movement that we really wanted to. Then in Asia, um, we things started to go really well in Asia. We had some um, some people contacts that sort of clicked, and we brought some wines into Asia, and we sold really well in Asia for a while. So all of a sudden, I forgot the European market, mm. and spent my time trying to, and all with Henry Estate, and Henry Estate was willing to to do that, and then with the grant monies, anything we did, we did with grant monies, and had a great time doing it, and uh, and I think it was a real asset to grow to grow Oregon, Oregon's awareness of wine in the international market. So, so you were, you, you were doing this grant, grant funded and you were pushing just Henry Estate wine or yes. you pushing Oregon, okay. Just, well, Henry Estate. Yeah, but you, yeah, but you're with 
Oregon sure. people. I sure. mean, you start to, in that kind of a marketplace, you start to do Henry Estate or sure, sure. India, you get totally lost. So you, 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 there's a way to do that. And you've got a, the greater good being Oregon or Northwest, mm -hmm. or in some cases, U.S. Mm -hmm. um, that's where you, you kind of market from. And I think I had the intuitive sense to, to know how to make that work. And, and still, I mean, my passion again, like I said, last year we were in Europe. Uh, I think I'm going to go to Vin Expo in Hong Kong this year because um, we've actually done some pretty good business in China. And uh, we haven't been there in about four years or so. And so I, I'm still very involved with it. And I think we continue to do it. And so my colleague, David Adelsheim, has really done a lot of the same thing. We've traveled together, and I think he shares my passion. I think Oregon wide needs to do that. We need to get, get people out there. So you're talking about, you're talking about the international market. Um, it's interesting to me that you, when you were selling Hinman wine, you were really focused on Oregon and then have now expanded the international market. Have you seen, you talked about Adelsheim, have you seen others in the industry mm. follow? Oh, definitely. Um, well, Bill Bly, well, Sokol Blasser uh, is definitely a, a part of the international market. King Estate is part of the international market. Um, I think Firesteed has done a good job with the international market. There's not very many of us. There's some people, I think, that make a stab at it. The, the big issue with the international market is that you have to go more than once and it and you can't go just once and if you don't get a big sale and, and well I didn't work mm -hmm. um, there there has to be some stick to with all of that and I think there's not there's people who can't do it financially sure. one or two just uh, have other things to do I, I've heard so many times well, why why go internationally uh, we're selling all of our wines, excuse me, selling all of our wines here in the United States. Well, I'm anxious to have a chat with any of those people with that comment come this fall when they're, we've got a lot of wine here in the state right now. And, and I think there needs to be that open opening of these other markets. It's very important for us, uh, I think. Uh, but I think there's other people who would not agree with that, and but certainly that's sure. a prerogative. And so you have other current wine interest going on as well. You have ah. your private label. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, yeah, I, I, th this is uh, like we were talking before. Um, private label seems to be the thing that dominates what our company is. Uh, I, I should maybe take a step back and say that um, about, well, in 2006, we had an opportunity to do our own family brand, um, and it's called 5H. Uh, 5H, H, my last name is Hinman, starts with an H, and there happens to be five in the family. <laughs> so it was kind of a little play on words. And we had fun with it, and um, and so we did, and we had mild success with 5H. And in the, in, in the process of marketing and sales, we came across some opportunities for people interested in doing Pinot Noir, mostly on the East Coast. Uh, they wanted to do a private label for their... Uh, distribution that, that that wasn't in another store. They had complete control of their pricing, etc. Which that's kind of the way private label goes. But and then we had my daughter's the one. It actually Chelsea was the one who made the original connection with uh, our first client, and they wanted to buy Pinot Noir, and they came, and we tried the wines, and they liked them, and they had gave us their label, and um, we found wines for them uh, out out in the trade, and um, 
uh, we did the job. Uh, we work out of a, a, a kind of an interesting little facility here in Eugene called Eugene Wine Cellars. And they are, uh, it's kind of a custom crush facility down mm -hmm. by the railroad tracks. It's, it has no sex appeal whatsoever, <laughs> but it's a, it's a good place to do wine. There's good people there. And uh, we did a bottling line, so we have kind of a control over uh, doing this process. So we started that out and we sold at the time, um, we sold the wines for um, at a price that was very competitive because we didn't have to have any expense to do the marketing part sure. of it. So it was just kind of a raw number. And in the interim, uh, I think one of the strengths that I came to the party with is because I know so many folks in the industry that I could go source this wine from other people. I didn't particularly want to make it. I didn't want to go in that direction. I wanted to buy it from the bulk market. And so um, that's what we did. We went and got some samples and we found, sent those samples to our clients. They uh, would make the yay or nay sign. I like this. If they did, we, uh, our protocol is that we do 50% of all the, the costs need to be up front. We use that money to buy the bulk and yada, yada, yada. Um, and so that kind of got out um, and we had another couple of clients uh, approach us um, and um, we have now, I don't know, maybe eight different clients and uh, uh, it's worked really, really well. And it's, it's a, a very, very easy, simple business plan um, and um, we, we, we want to expand that simplicity of our business plan, i.e. that's why we want to go into the international market sure. and to try and, and, and do that with people. And we did, we did sold about 300 cases of 5H, which they considered a private label into China. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a very, uh, all of the business deals that we've done um, with our company has been very lucrative, thanks to uh, some business savvy and my lovely wife, Sue Ann, making sure that we're doing the right things. And, uh, but it's exciting and I'm having probably more fun than I've ever had because it's very simple. Mm -hmm. It's very straightforward business approach. And again, I have a chance to work with my colleagues. Uh, um, you know, like I'm, David's got a bunch of 50, David Adelsheim has a bunch of uh, uh, 15 vintage Pinot Noir. I want to see what's available. So, and we right now we have about six clients that we're, we've got things kind of bubbling with. It's right after the first of the year in sure. 2016. So we're trying to get them to commit. So we got a lot of exciting things going on, and I get to do some of the production stuff, which I really like to get get in and make wine evaluations and, and kind of work with the wineries and put corks and bottles and that <laughs> kind of, I really like that as opposed to marketing. I can do that, but it's not what I, it's not what I got cut off the cloth for, sure, you sure. know, so. So you mentioned how much of your family is now involved in the wine, in the wine business. Did you, hope that your kids would follow you into the wine industry? Um, yeah, I guess I did. Um, but I certainly would have never laid that on them. Um, some of the some of the materials that Rachel is looking at as we're doing this interview uh, are newspaper articles of me in the past. And my daughter uh, in a middle school presentation did a big uh, board. That's why some of them have cardboard on them because they were stuck on a book. <laughs> and I remember that was my one of my first uh, uh, epiphanies that, wow, my kids are kind of interested in, you know, they're interested in this business. I don't think they, as growing up, 
as kids, and we always had wine around here. Wine was just a part of there. And, uh, but they, they always, oh, it's too bitter, and, it, <laughs> and it's sour, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I remember when my daughter graduated from college, uh, we had a party here for her, and she made the comment, uh, so what are you, what are you gonna do? And she said, well, I probably get in to the wine business, it's in my blood. And I, that really kind of struck me at the time. And she got a job almost immediately, well, actually she got a job before she uh, graduated from uh, college uh, with King Estate. And she worked for King Estate for three or four years. And I, I remember vividly, we took a trip, an international trip for the Northwest Wine Coalition. And we were in China and Chelsea at the time was sort of representing King Estate. And there was uh, a guy that was re representing uh, uh, Amity Vineyards. It wasn't Myron, uh, a guy by the name of Mark Retz. And so the three of us were doing this tasting in a wine shop in Beijing. And, I, and my daughter wasn't even 21. She was <laughs> 20. And I remember telling her, I said, as we walked, I said, I'm going to be right beside you because I had the Henry Estate wines. And... Um, I'll be right beside you if you if you have any questions or something. And she walked in into this wine shop. We had our wine set up, and she there was some guy from Australia that was standing front, you know, picking up bottles, looking at bottles, and she just picked up how are you or what. It just was a smooth transition, and I think she's taken this to uh, extremes. She worked at Crush at King Estate. They put her into sales and marketing, and then she went to work for an international company called Terlato. She worked with them for four years and had some great international experience and was very successful. And now she works for a Washington winery and making all kinds of money and doing all kinds of good things. So um, she's a, and uh, my, my youngest child, uh, Cody, uh, has went with me last year to Pro Wine and um, he has always had an interest, I think, kind of in wine. Um, and he is worked for Southern Wine and Spirit, the largest distributor in the country. Uh, he does Corvallis and they just moved him up to Portland. Um, it's interesting you asked that question. We just asked him that question, so to speak, last night at dinner. And uh, what are you going to do? You know, where, where are you going to where are you going to take this? And uh, the short version of that long story is, I don't know, but he's going to stay in wine. And then my middle guy, who I'm traveling with, uh, is Brady. He works at a deli here in Eugene at Capella's down mm. the street. Um, and he's kind of been in and out of production a little bit with us. He's still sort of form formulating what he'd like to do. Um, so we'll, we'll see where that goes. But uh, um, I think in my wife, uh, you know, to speak for her, is, you know, she was a teacher. She retired about three years ago, and she has always been on the peripheral of all of this, and she's taken a very active role in the private label business with, uh, we really have a handle on where, where we're at with this business, um, and we need to. I mean, I think all of the shortcomings we've had in years past with our wine projects um, have really conditioned us that <laughs> we really need to be on top of this, and, <laughs> and uh, thanks to Sue Ann, we really are. And so, um, so it's a family business. I, I think I've seen some family businesses that uh, are not real uh, congenial. And I, so it scares me a little bit to put everybody together. 
I don't know if that's a, a, a kiss of death, if you sort of speak. So I, 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 I let them do what they want to do, but I think they're pretty intrigued with wines. And, and I think both Chelsea and Cody, and Brady for that matter, I think know a lot about wines. And I, I know when Chelsea got her job at King Estate, and I knew the manager at the time, and that, that's kind of how she got the job. And I think he said that, that, that Chelsea doesn't even know what she knows. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people that don't know the difference between red wine and white wine, and Chelsea knew a hell of a lot more about that, mm -hmm. and I think that there's a certain in, uh, intuition that you may have when you've got that depth of knowledge, mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the things. Not that it, we talked about that last night with my youngest son. It's not that about knowing much about wine, but I think there's wine specific, but it's where wine, how it fits into our culture. Mm -hmm. And I think those two kids uh, get that for sure. And I think that came from our family environment, you know, living up with wine. Like, like I said, you can go in our kitchen and there's, you know, probably 10 or 15 bottles of wine sitting in the corner over there that we've been working on and trying to figure out. So that's been pretty rewarding for you to be able to work so closely with with your children, especially. It is. Thank you for even recognizing that. It's it's been a it's been a great uh, experience, and especially to see, uh, like last year, uh, Cody. He's. 26 and uh, at the time he was 25 and not so communicative as uh, you know we would like some but to see him in action to stand on the floor in London and the, the way he handled himself and the knowledge that he knew mm -hmm. and then to go to Pro Wine and spend three days on the floor uh, talking to international buyers and to, be, to see how he handled that how he adapted to that person who was asking the questions and uh, and then having that depth. It's just like he had, well, I've used the analogy before, he has arrows in his quiver <laughs> and you don't need to pull them all out at the same time. Sure. And, and he has that depth of knowledge and uh, I think that's what makes things work and I see that and yeah, it is rewarding to, to, to see that go. But I also want them, if they, wanted to go into the avocado business, uh, you know, the, God bless them, I, I'll stand right there behind them. So, uh, but I think they're pretty well entrenched in wine. So how do you market Oregon wine? I think that you, Oregon, you market Oregon wine, you, you kind of look at who you're marketing it to and, and kind of craft your, your message to that entity. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've said this so many times that we can sit in our ivory towers coming up with programming for our distributors nationally and say, well, we're all going to do post-offs or we're going to do, uh, you know, golf balls or whatever, for, whatever it is for incentives. And that doesn't work everywhere. So I think you have to kind of work with each individual company uh, or that you're trying to sell to and, 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 and craft your message to what, what's going on with them. I, we missed an opportunity and I'm going back for it again in the UK um, with a company that just was breaking into the United States. And we really thought we had some business last, from last year's ProWine. And again, long story short, they have a New Zealand Pinot Noir mm -hmm. in their mix. Mm -hmm. And their premise was that, well, we've got a New Zealand Pinot Noir and not so sure we need an Oregon Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. Okay, so 
that you craft your message that uh, I'm sure that New Zealand Pinot is wonderful, but it's New Zealand mm -hmm. and this is Oregon. So you, you swing more to trying to talk about the differences of Oregon and where we are and, you know, yada, yada, mm -hmm. yada. Um, and then people that we're doing business with in Georgia, I'm trying to get back and and they're price oriented. So, okay, we're going to give, give you free goods. Okay, you buy a pallet, we'll give you two free cases. So that's how you sell these wines um, on who's buying them. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's important. And I think you got to be, have an intuitive sense on what it takes to push the button of the person that you're talking to. And I think, again, I said this before, I think I have a pretty good understanding of all of that. So there's no one answer to that, at least from my perspective. And there's certain things we talk about, Oregon's uniqueness. Mm -hmm. uh, I get a little frustrated with the orientation of Pinot Noir. Um, I get it, and we sell from our private label business to, you know, 99%, maybe 98% of what we sell is Pinot Noir. Uh, and when I go internationally, it's you lead with Pinot Noir. But by the way, we do have other wines that are, you know, and so um, I think you have to be, I think you have to adapt who, who, to, to who you're trying to sell the wine to, to tell the Oregon wine story. Is there are, other than kind of the uniqueness, I'm curious just what are the other, the general points about Oregon wine? That, what, what, what do you tell them or what do people know about Oregon wine? Um, well, I, I, I think that working for Henry Estate has given me certainly an interesting perspective on, you know, on the overused word of diversity. Mm -hmm. I think that's the thing that I think Oregon comes to the party with. We have wines from Southern Oregon that maybe aren't necessarily oriented specifically around Pinot Noir, and then you, you go all the way north to Willamette Valley, and that is the, you know, the gorilla on the block. Um, and so I, I think that diversity is a very important part of what Oregon has to offer, its uniqueness. Um, and I think that we, and the growth that it's had mm -hmm. is really phenomenal. And people see that, and, and I think they want to be a part of it. You feed on that, that, you know, Oregon is, and it's interesting, at least I think we, with our private label business, we have been to the point where, <laughs> how do I say this, tactfully, that there's a point where there's a very high profit margin on some of these things to the point where you can really lower the price to ridiculous levels. And I, I think we have to be very careful because Oregon, well, Pinot Noir, is that's Oregon to Pinot Noir is a value-added concept. And so you, you need to you need to make that percentage. So if we maybe go in at a lower point, still make our mark and be able to give your distributor more margin to be able to sell the wine and don't drop the price. I mean, dropping the price will, you know, you can always, you go to six ninety nine or seven ninety nine. you can sell lots of, and, but I think you're stepping on your toes and I think that you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot and all the cliches that you can make <laughs> if you don't take advantage of that Oregon, you know, um, the, the mystique, yeah, Oregon brand, Oregon type thing. So you fly that color a lot. Um, I think you, um, 
I think that there's so much, there's so many new people in the wine businesses and, and who they touch and, and some of the, the people that are involved in the industry with their backgrounds and international mm -hmm. business. And I think it's just, it's a different breed of cat. But telling, telling that story, it's, you know, Oregon, it's, it's, a, it's a great place to grow wine grapes. Was there a moment for you when you thought that Oregon had arrived? Boy, uh, I, I it, yeah, I think so, but I don't know what it would be. It was, <laughs> it, it was a, I think it was a gradual thing. It wasn't just like a black and white line in the sand. We're not so cool. Now we're cool. Um, I just think it's been an awareness, and I think y you really see that. When you go to international uh, shows and deal with international people mm -hmm. and see people coming up in Oregon and, or, or going to, you know, Massachusetts and somebody's got a little Oregon wine section. I mean, wow. Mm -hmm. That's that's really special to think from where I was mm -hmm. when you're telling trying to tell it's too it's too wet and it's too cold to grow wine grapes and you know you go to some of these places and they've got little sections and awareness of Oregon wine. <laughs> so I, yeah, but it was it, it was over time, uh, and I think it, and there's a whole hell of a lot of people that, that have moved that needle. Mm -hmm. um, some of the old guard, obviously, and, and that started it, and then this new guard of people who are much more sophisticated and uh, business-oriented and marketing-oriented uh, that are, um, I, I think, have really, really moved the needle. And I don't know where that happened. I mean, what are we at, 700-plus wineries in the state Something now? Like that, yeah. And uh, at the time when we were there, we were, there was, you know, well, our bond, what was our, our bond was 77, Hinman. And I think there was maybe a hundred wineries or something like that when I started. Well, when you've got that many people that have moved, you know, have, have come in and shared all of this stuff, uh, yeah. it shakes it up a little bit and Oregon's come on the market. Where do you see the future of Oregon wine? Um, hmm. Or where would you like it to be? Well. I, I like it where it is now. I mean, I, I think that it's just trying to control the ebb and tide, I think, of, of, of supply and demand. Um, I, my sense is right now, and again, that's my intuitive sense, that, that we have a huge supply. So I guess in a perfect world, I'd like to make sure that all of the wine that is being grapes are grown from wines being made from those grapes is going to be sold in the market mm -hmm. um, and I think that and it may, it may I don't know but I'm sensing that there's a there's a different situation going on as we speak here on this date um, but I I think we're doing we've got a great uh, you know uh, governing board with the Oregon Wine Board and Tom Donowski with his leadership. Um, we've got some great people in the industry that I think totally get the wine thing. Um, I think that uh, I, I I think that I don't know how to say this. Um, I, I think there's a lot of focus on uh, these 
appellations, these different appellations mm -hmm. around the state, and I respect that to show the nuance mm -hmm. of a, a growing region, the Eola Hills as opposed to the Dundee Hills and mm -hmm. wherever these all are. I, I'd like to see us more dilute those those nuances and and go with a, a broader a, to sell good Oregon Pinot Noir, a good quality wine mm -hmm. where people make a profit growing grapes and making wines and selling wines and represent us, as opposed to trying to sell the nuance of a slate covered um, soil type, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, it sort of drives me crazy. I get it. I understand the marketing and I understand the, the different nuances, but I think when you start to go at that level, you certainly eliminate a lot of other people who don't care and who are, are not affected by that. They just want a nice bottle of wine they can put on their table at a reasonable price. And I'd like to see us, and, and that's the direction we're going personally with the things that we do. We're going with that kind of premise as opposed to this splitting hairs with a certain uh, subculture or, or sub, not culture, sub uh, appellation. Mm -hmm. and, I, and so. I, I, and that's that's just a personal feeling, and um, and I think that everybody can do their own thing. I, they the, some of the some of those uh, foo foo cheeky representations I think are good and really help the image. But let's sell some wine, <laughs> you know. Let's rock and roll with boxes out the door, and uh, and that's where we that's where we go. Will it continue to grow? What's the breaking point? How many wineries can we hold? Oh. Well, great question. I, I, I think that we're, to me, at this stage of the game, I think we're saturated in Oregon. And I've said this before and people laugh at me, but I, 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 I know the hardest place on the planet to sell Oregon wine is Oregon. <laughs> because there's so many people trying to sell wine that are making wines in their garage and little different things and the only place they have to do. And they certainly don't have the resources to go out and market into some of these other markets. So I, I, I don't know where things are gonna go, you know, in the, in, in the future, but I think that, uh, well, I lost my train of thought there. I forgot what I was saying. That's okay. Yeah. Um, what so you've had, you've had pretty much every possible experience within the industry, from vineyard to winery, to consultant to selling to international selling. What's your very favorite thing to do in the wine industry? International sales and production. You know, putting wines together, those sort of things. By far, uh, those are the two things, and and. Uh, um, and I'm doing them. And, and at this stage of my life, I'm 73, almost 74. Um, this is, I'm, you know, I'm in nirvana as far as <laughs> is being able to do the things I want in this industry. And then seeing my kids kind of get involved at this level to be determined how far. But uh, no, I, things are pretty good. I mean, I, I, I can't, uh, you know, I can't sit here in this couch and complain too much about <laughs> how things have gone. I've had my, believe me, I've had some, uh, some rough roads down in, in within this, I don't know, 40 years, 30, 38 years, whatever it's been. Um, but it's been good. It's provided my family with a, a livelihood and we've had fun and, uh, 
I, it's just been a, it's been a, it's been a good ride, and I'd like to see it continue, and I want to be a part of it as long as I can shake up and try to pour a bottle of wine or a, for a taste for somebody. I'm going to take it to the eleventh hour, and um, and I think that that spirit was what I had when I started this business or started in this business, and I think that's where I'm currently at. So I kind of see. And that wisdom has certainly grown with all of that experience. That's what I, I think. That's what I can come to the party, as well as some of my colleagues too that mm -hmm. have had that experience. And when we were talking about Bill Blosser at ProWine last year, for him to to be there, he's he's seen it too. And Dave Adelsheim was there as well. So uh, I think that it's important to have those people still in the industry, keeping that perspective for us and, uh, and and I you know I haven't had a, a lot of experience with the new guard so I think the new guard is is uh, I know that they're doing some good things but I'm not sure where their track is mm -hmm. on on with what direction some of these new people want to go um, but I'm sure it's it's well thought out and uh, certainly probably more uh, uh, Capitalize than what some of uh, some of the past group did when we first started this project. So I think it's going to go quicker now than it did when we first started. I just wherever that is, uh, I think it's going to happen quicker because of the professionalism and the and the expertise that's w within our state right now. Did you ever imagine when you started that the industry could look like this? No, not at all. I I don't think we gave it a. I didn't give that long-term thinking. We were so engaged and involved with trying to get wine in the bottle and trying to get you know the wine to so and so get the case. I mean, it, we just didn't have take took the time to philosophically look at what was hap going to happen in the future. And maybe we did at certain, but I know, no, 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 no. I, I, I never to see, to think that there are 700 wineries and to see that, you know, tourism and the amount of press that's generated and the knowledge of the Oregon wine. No, I, I that blow, blows me away. And it's been, there's been a lot of good leadership, I think, over the years with all these people that have been involved. So... No, it's been a, it's been a good ride. Well, that does it with the questions I have. Is there anything that I forgot to ask? Anything you'd like to add? Anything you'd like to add? No, we talked about private label. I think that's an important part for me. 5H, we're resurrecting 5H. I think we're trying to get back on track with that a little bit. Um, more that we've got a gun to our head, and that we have to have our 5-H brand to keep the, the licensing for the other things we're doing. And we want to kind of sustain that a little bit. Um, so we talked about that, talked, certainly talked about Henry Estate, good old days. <laughs> no, I, 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 I think we, um, at first blush, I think we've covered it all. Well, thank you so much for your time and oh, for pleasure. inviting us into, the, into your house. And thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. 
The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.